Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. What has been fascinating in developing this series is learning what is on God's heart. You see, we are in a very unique period in history. We're being transitioned by God from what we've known for almost 2,000 years as the church age, and he's preparing us to come into the kingdom age through a series of spiritual alignments. So today I want to talk about kingdom alignment number one, which is the way God speaks. If you're new to this series, you'll notice something odd about the way I spell lessons in the latter days. The word latter is spelled with two D's instead of two T's, and there's a reason why. This is metaphorical language. I'm speaking the way God speaks. In my Latter Days branding logo, you'll see a woman near the top rung of a ladder, high above the clouds holding a telescope, searching out the sky for signs of his coming. That, my friends, is me. So my logo is a picture that tells the story of a woman who has been searching out the heavens for signs of his coming for over 30 years. And I teach what I see. What do I mean by kingdom alignment? I'm using this expression as chiropractic terminology. It's a way of making minor adjustments to align your head with your spine. Now, spiritually speaking, Jesus is the head of the body of Christ. But a new concept for many is that both Old and New Testaments teach that Moses, or the Torah, is the spine. Jesus the head, Moses the spine. So today I want to align your head, or your thinking, with your spiritual spine, with passages that teach us how to position ourselves to enter the kingdom. Today I'm going to toggle back and forth between two passages of Scripture. Psalm 78 lays down a beautiful foundation of how God speaks, and we'll apply this to our Torah portion in Numbers 13 that tells the story of Moses sending out 12 spies to search out the land and bring back a report. Psalm 78 was written by Asaph, who was a prominent Levite and seer during the time of King David. He was one of three Levites commissioned by David to be in charge of singing in the house of the Lord. He had exceptional spiritual eyes and ears to see and hear what God is saying, because as we have discussed before, the master of the universe, Melech HaOlam, does not speak like you and I do. Every word and every Hebrew letter has a unique, anointed, multi-layered meaning. Verse 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I want you to notice there are two parts to this one verse. Part 1, Give ear to my law. And part two, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. These two phrases are parallel. They mean basically the same thing. In part one, the phrase give ear is a complex spiritual discipline. 
the Hebrew word for ear, means to broaden out or flatten the ear, like you're spreading it out so close to what's being said so you can perceive every nuance of the sound completely. What are we to hear? It says, give ear to my law. The word for law is Torah. So the Lord is telling us through the prophetic mouthpiece of Asaph to spread out your ear to listen to every nuance of the Torah because it is speaking. Let's look at the second part. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. The word incline means the same thing. Spread out your ears. To hear what? The words of my mouth. This is God's mouth we're talking about. The word for mouth is the word peh, P-E-H, the part of the body that blows air out. These are words that God breathed, words that come from the purest source, from God himself, the Torah. We touched on something in the last episode that sound waves carry spirit. Every word that comes out of our mouths carries the spirit of whatever is in our heart, whether good or bad. Psalm 78 is all about God's voice. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 43 describes his voice as the sound of many waters. It's like standing next to the roar of Niagara Falls. God's voice contains every frequency of sound that's possible. Only some of the frequencies are audible, but God's voice includes all frequencies all at once and speaks directly to every molecular element that He created in the universe, every part of your body, your soul, and your spirit. Isaiah wrote, Every word that goes forth from my mouth shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in the things for which I sent it. That holiest of spirit, undefiled, righteous, and true, pours from his mouth, and we are instructed to spread our ears out to hear it. He is telling us in Psalm 78 that His Spirit is what pours forth from His mouth and attaches to the Hebrew words that form the building blocks of the Torah. And He's looking for listeners, His children, who willingly place ourselves in the proper position to receive His words. This is why the Sabbath is so important. The Sabbath is the day that God set aside to teach His children His Torah. Verse 2 uses the same parallel structure of two phrases that mean the same thing. In the first phrase, He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. Part 2, I will utter dark sayings of old. Now He's getting specific and telling us the form of communication God uses. He speaks in a parable. The word for parable is mashal, which is a term that rules over all other forms of speech. It is a type of discourse that has dominion over every other form of communicating. 
This is God's language of pictures that has deep layers of meaning attached to it. These pictures are called Tavniot, that we talk about a lot in this series. We're going to examine one in just a minute, so you'll know how to recognize a Tavnit and break it out. The second phrase says the same thing, just a little differently. I will utter dark sayings of old. The word utter is naba, which means to pour out like a gushing stream. So what pours out? Dark sayings of old. The Hebrew word for dark sayings is kidah, which is a puzzle. It comes from a word that means to put forth a riddle. A saying that is of old comes from the very beginning part of antiquity or eternity past. The way God speaks is superior to anything we could ever say or hear in the natural. We want to know God and what he's saying. We say, Lord, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. Just give me the bottom line. That attitude is rude and disrespectful. You will never hear God if you have that attitude. He doesn't speak in common language. He's not common. He is the Lord. He speaks in layers, pictures, puzzles, riddles, and waits for you to respond to the little bit of insight he gives you. And when you have taken heed or paid attention, spread your ears out to what you have heard and search for the meaning with the kind of desperation that you would have if you searched for hidden treasure, that is when he opens the door to the mysteries of heaven and reveals incredible insights into his world, his kingdom. Psalm 19 tells us that the treasures there are worth far more than gold. Now, you might wonder why God repeats something and says the same thing twice, like what we read in Psalm 78. The sages explain it means two things. First, whatever God says twice means that thing is established. So repetition is something we should always take note of. And secondly, it refers to two different time periods. The first one is when it was written, and the second it will be repeated in the generation before the kingdom. We find this principle in Ecclesiastes 1. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. In the New Testament, same principle in 1 Corinthians 10. Now those things happened to them in the Old Testament as a warning but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come, and that's us. I encourage you to read Numbers 13 on your own, but in a nutshell, it tells the story of Moses sending leaders of all 12 tribes on a 40-day tour of the land God promised them and bring back a report to Moses. Sadly, they brought back a fearful and negative report that discouraged the people. God was so angry, he blocked them from entering the kingdom then and sentenced them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the whole generation died. That's the story. Since we're in the book of Numbers, I'm going to outline the lessons we can learn from this Tavnit using five numbers. The first number is 40. 
the spies were given forty days to bring back to Moses a report after seeing the land. God's use of numbers is deliberate. It's not random. I've noticed in my studies that the sages always make reference to the numbers God uses. They usually give us clues, hidden clues about the kingdom. For example, the Torah records that the very day Noah turned 600 years old was when he entered the ark. That refers to the year 6000, when the day of the Lord begins and God's wrath is poured out on the earth. So what would the year 40 refer to in our story? This is not a thus saith the Lord, because I did not read this insight anywhere. I saw it based on how God has used numbers in the past to prepare us for the kingdom. I know that the story of the Exodus took place during day two, or the second 2,000-year period after creation. Therefore, to get to the year 6,000, God's people would have to wait four more days or 4,000 more years before arriving at the kingdom. As you recall from our story, God made them wait 40 more years to get to the kingdom. Again, I believe a reference to 4,000 years. The second number is two. Only two people Out of twelve, Joshua and Caleb truly saw what God had told them about. That's only 16% of all the people who had a glimpse of the kingdom and knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what their role would be once they got there. Caleb couldn't wait to get back there because he had already identified his mountain during the tour. He knew Hebron was his place and that joy was set before him to hang on to while everyone else in his generation died out. Now, to apply this to today, this tells me that over 83% of believers, God's children, will die never having fulfilled what God put inside of them. That doesn't mean they lose their salvation or their place in the kingdom. Remember, there is a difference between inhabiting the kingdom and inheriting the kingdom. Only those who step into their place on this side of the kingdom will be ready and prepared to assist Messiah to build and manage the kingdom of God during the thousand years. The third number is twelve. There were twelve leaders that God chose for this little tour. Twelve is the number of divine government and apostolic rule. Jacob had twelve sons. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 memorial stones, 12 stones on the breastplate, 12 gates to the city, 12 angels guarding the temple gates, 12 foundations on the city wall with the names of the 12 apostles, 12 kinds of fruit next to the river of life, 12 months of the year, 12 signs of the zodiac in the heavens. Again, God's number was definite. Each had a voice, but the fate of the entire nation depended on whether that voice was splintered or unified. They all had to be in agreement to come into their destined place as one. Let me share something of the backstory to show you why there was no unity. 
If you look at what happened to them before this little tour began, you would see that Miriam was disciplined by the Lord. He struck her with leprosy, and she had to be removed from the camp for seven days. What we hear her saying to Aaron in the previous chapter, complaining about Moses, saying, Has God indeed spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us also? Her words revealed the true spirit inside of her, one of pride in her prophetic gifts, one of entitlement in her leadership position, and she was defiled by all the backbiting atmosphere that the congregation was guilty of, demanding meat and water and talking bad about Moses behind his back. The whole atmosphere was negative, And Miriam, being a sensitive Levite, was defiled. The moment she opened her mouth to trash Moses, God struck her, because the sin that he especially despises is called Lashon Hara, evil tongue. She had lifted herself more highly than she ought to think, and sadly never regained a position of national prominence after this incident. She epitomized why there was no unity among the twelve voices. The fourth number is 666. We find this number in Revelation 13, where the Apostle John is writing about the beast who will rise out of the earth and cause all people to take his mark. He writes, quote, So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let him who has understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666, Now, what Jesus was referring to in this passage is an ancient system of Hebrew numerology called gematria, where you can find hidden meanings by adding up the numerical value of words. Jesus was giving us a clue to spot the number of the beast. According to my rabbi, Michael Washer, in his book, When All the Pictures Are Restored, there is only one person in the whole Bible whose name equals 666 in Hebrew, and it is found in our passage in Numbers 13, where God devotes 11 verses to list the names of these 12 leaders. Now, these 12 were the cream of the crop from each tribe, listed specifically by name, chosen by Moses. I want you to listen to verse 13, 10 words, quote, from the tribe of Asher, Setur, the son of Michael, unquote. The name Setur means hidden. Here are the letters and the numerical values that make up his name. Samek, 60. Tav, 400. Vav, 200. And Rish, 6. The value of his name, Samek, Tav, Vav, and Rish, is 666. The hidden one, Setur, was the son of Michael, whose name means who is like God. That's who Satan is. He thought of himself like God, just like Miriam exalted herself to be like Moses. Setur was of the tribe of Asher. 
Asher's assigned place in the wilderness encampment was next to Dan. And you may recall in Jacob's blessing, Dan is described as a serpent. Many believe that the Antichrist will come from the tribe of Dan. So what does this mean for us? Jacob had the most blessed bloodline, and yet hidden within this genealogy was one who was related to the father of lies. This is a word of wisdom, to track down every negative, prideful voice that is there within our ancestral lineage. The admonition is to repent for those sins of our fathers that were not true, and that we each stand before God in humility, committed to go forward no matter how scary or strong the enemies look. The final number I want to comment on is the number one. God gave every tribe a chance to see their individual places in the kingdom. During the time I was studying this passage, I had a revealing dream which showed two people doing something for God. The gist of the dream was the need for both these people to come together and commit themselves as one to the work they were to do, to align themselves. As I spent time with the dream, the Lord revealed that the two people I saw represented two voices within the same person, and he gave me to understand that just as the nation of Israel had twelve different voices, they could not fulfill their assigned place inside the kingdom unless they spoke as one voice rather than twelve. Now, if you have a clear understanding of what God wants you to do for Him prior to the kingdom, the opposition coming against you is huge. But the way to stand in this evil day is to bring all of your negative, self-doubting voices inside your head and submit them all to the Father as one voice of commitment to what you know in your heart you are to do. I heard a lot of negative voices in my life. You'll never amount to anything. You're just a dreamer who'll live hand-to-mouth the rest of your life. Those are some of my voices. What are yours? I believe what God would have you do is identify all of your voices and present them before the Father. Say, Lord, I bring to you every negative voice inside of me that makes me doubt myself, compare myself to others, and lose perspective on what you've given me to do this side of the kingdom. Just as you gave your people twelve voices to come into agreement as one, I come to you now with all the voices I hear inside my head. And we stand before you this day in submission to you as one voice, asking that you give us the strength to enter the place you destined for me to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who do not understand what the Lord has given you to do, please take a look at my online course called Journey to the Center of You. It's all about identifying and calling forth your destined place. I'll put a link to it in the description notes to this episode. But there are gifts and talents that God put inside of you 
that only you can do for him. And he wants you to be busy doing that when he comes. I want to thank you so much for being with me today. You'll find this episode, Kingdom Alignment Number 1, The Way God Speaks, at CandiceLong.com slash podcast. If you sign up to subscribe, I'll send you links to all of my resources, which will help you find your destined place in these end times. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless you.